Hey everybody, James Arnold Taylor here, and you are listening to the great, big, beautiful podcast. Obi-Wan Kenobi has a good feeling about this. Because I've seen the change happen, and because I've been um, sort of like the propaganda that I've been selling since the moment I moved to LA was like, um, I'm the face of the future. <laughs> Everyone's gonna look like me, so you should just get on board. Yeah. Like that was what I was kind of I love it. Um, unabashedly trying to to mind trick everyone into thinking. So you know, when you believe your own rhetoric, it becomes the truth. Right. <laughs> And it actually happened. happened. (laughs) Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the GBB Podcast. And anywhere you can download and stream podcasts. Share with your friends, why don't ya? Why why don't ya? I gotta be Canadian. Why don't ya? Hey. Hey. (laughs) How you doing today, Jamie? I'm doing uh, excellently. It's just, you know, busy, busy as always, but uh, always happy to be back with you, Justin. Of course. And I think a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people don't think this, but a lot of the times you, when you hear us talking, you think these guys just podcast. Like this is all we do. We podcast. We don't do anything else. (laughs) And uh, I don't think people probably think that, but it's easy to get in that mind frame, right? Because you're hearing us every single week. And, yeah. you know, to you, that's what we are. And this is but the only place, as Jamie said, it's the only place that they encounter us. So, yeah, exactly. And in reality, we're actually putting the podcast in a busy schedule of other things. So we yeah. love to do it. And that's all to say. We love you guys. And we love to do it. We do. <laughs> we love you. So Star Wars Episode 8 is coming out soon. The Last Jedi. Is it going to be the last? It's coming. Uh, I guess we'll wait and see. I don't know. We'll wait and see. I can't believe it. I mean, the... yeah, it's coming really soon now. No, no, no. I'm just, you know, going to say my standard thing, which is I can't believe it's coming so soon. Like, it always, these <laughs> movies always feel like they're so far in the distant future. Right. And then, like, suddenly you're like, well, well it's it's next month. Like, it's going to be yeah. here soon. And then and then eventually <laughs> it'll be like the the 7, 8, 9 are done. And it's like, okay, so what's going to happen now? Is it going to be 10, 11, yeah. 12? Like, where are we going from there? <laughs> Yeah, so, no, we don't know that so, yet. So when Disney bought uh, Star Wars franchise from Lucasfilm, or when they bought Lucasfilm, yeah. we all know this. They reset the timeline. They reset everything. Not 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 completely, but they got rid of a lot of the expanded universe. And a part of that universe before was video games, right? Yeah. So they didn't get rid of everything. I mean, that's well, no, it's all still there. Know. They've just rebranded it as Star Wars Legends, yes. and they didn't they didn't start over from scratch either. That so when when they it was 2014, um, they reset the canon. They rebooted it, I guess. So all the films were canon. Um, the Clone Wars animated series, which 
had come out prior to 2014. That was retained, so that was canon. Star Wars Rebels was canon. Um, but none of the comics and books and novels um, that had come prior to that uh, were considered official, quote-unquote. Right. Um, so, yes. And one of the things before 2014 that, that made up the convoluted Star Wars uni- expanded universe were the video games. Not... All of them, I think, were considered canon, but many of them were. Like the big example is Shadows of the Empire when that came out in Mm. the mid to late 90s. Um, That was telling a brand new story in the Star Wars universe just without the film. That was the the shtick of that is that um, there was no film, but there was a novel, there was a video game, there were action figures, there was this whole um, world built up around Shadows of the Empire with the with the merchandising and and. um, and the storytelling. Um, so that was definitely part of the expanded universe, but they've shied away from that a little bit in the new canon. It's mostly just books and comics in the films and, and rebels. Right. Right. And I don't know battlefront, the star Wars battlefront. That was just like a, I don't know if there was much, I don't know. I shouldn't, I don't speak from a place of knowledge, but I don't think there was many much story to it. I think it was just like a multiplayer. The, fir- the first game you shooting mean? game, right? Yeah. Star Wars battlefront. The first game. Yeah. Game. Again, yeah. I, I never owned it. I, I have played it occasionally. I just, I don't, I didn't play it through, but there was no single, there was no story campaign. Like there was no single player, um, story mode for that game. It was mostly just a multiplayer, um, you know, what's the word? I can't, I'm not even a gamer massive enough to know. online what, multiplayer. Yeah, it wasn't it? really, yeah. I don't know if you can Whatever you gamers call that Yeah, stuff. but it was, you know, it was, you, you, you'd go online and you just run around and, and kill people, you know, or, and, right. and that's, that was the point of that game. But, um, yeah, so Battlefront 2 is, is breaking that mold a little bit. Right. So let's talk about Battlefront 2. This all has a point, I promise. <laughs> what is the point? What is going on? Who are we talking to? <laughs> oh, so today we're talking to Janina Gavankar, who um, is the voice, the face, and the actor behind Aiden Versio, who is the uh, the main character of Battlefront 2. Um, so it, she she... Many times when when actors come in to voice video game characters, you know, they just lend their voice and that's pretty much it. Um, Rarer is when they come in and they do motion capture to to get the movement down and really become the model for the character. Um, What they did with Aiden in this game is they actually made her look almost I mean, it's a spitting image of Jeanine Gavankar when you see like if you put them side by side, it's like it's unreal how how much they look alike because it's her. Like they basically took her, put her in the game. And when you play the game, you're playing as her. So that's really, I would imagine really got to be kind of creepy for her. I mean, could you imagine playing a video (laughs) game of you? Yeah, of yourself. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the whole, the whole Canon discussion that we had, I know we we want to, yeah. Go where you were going with that. Go where you were going. Oh, so what were the, yeah, the whole, the whole discussion with the canon, we're tying that in. This game is actually going to be part of the official Star Wars canon, which is exciting. And to me, I I mean, I think it's awesome. And, but the non-gamers, I'm wondering how it's going to affect the stories. If the, you know, if it's going to have anything to do with the films, I don't know if you get into that at all, but 
you know, it's so interesting to me that a video game can be part of a cinematic yeah. story. You know what I mean? An overall story. It's really, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, and that's the magic of the story group. That's what they're doing is that they're tying all right. those pieces together and they're taking a thread that was introduced over here and making sure that it, you know, gets developed in a completely different media medium. So, I mean, they, we say that, you know, the game Battlefront 2 is part of canon. Um, what that really means is that the character of Iden Versio and, and the other characters that you see in the game um, do exist in the Star Wars universe. You know, there was a novel, uh, it, it, there was a novel of the game, um, Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad, written by Christy Golden, who is um, on this show way back. Um, and uh, that that takes Iden's story and, and fleshes it out a little bit more. So that really um, cements its place in in the 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 literary corner of of the canon i guess um the what effects this will have the ripple effects of this story and these characters on on other things that are still to come who knows that's that's what we're all that's the ride we're all on right that's for the chi to (laughs) (laughs) that's for the chi to tell us that's for uh the story group to decide but i can't wait to see what happens with it and where it's gonna go so we're gonna play the interview for you right now we hope you enjoy Okay, well, Janina, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. This is awesome to have you here. Of course. I-, I wanted to start off actually talking about music. Um, okay. So in your the video for Don't Look Down, you play the marimba, and it's obviously, obviously you didn't just learn it for the video. So were you a band <laughs> geek uh, in school? Oh, very, very much so, yes. Um, I, uh, you know, I really missed being in Drumline, which is why I was like, I, I made that, that, last music video just so I could step back in line and play in the snare line again. Um, I, um, I grew up playing mallet percussion first and then, you know, high school came along and I had to be in the middle of that drum line for my ego. <laughs> and, um, I, and so I did that. And then, you know, so drum corps is a really, re- I'm a huge drum corps fan. Yeah. So if, and those who are listening, if you don't know what drum corps is, it's basically marching band on crack. It's like <laughs> competitive. It's um, it's basically highly competitive um, marching band, and the physicality of it is so intense more now than it was when I was in high school. I mean, these kids are running around with like huge instruments, just traversing a field back and forth, and um, with perfect tone. It's an insane. It's I, I really urge everyone to go look up drum corps, C-O-R-P-S, and um, be blown away. How, how long did you do that? Uh, I was almost a percussion performance major in college. Oh, wow. So um, it was a really big part of my life. I really wanted to be a blue man. <laughs> <laughs> I always dreamt of that. And then, um, you know, I, I always thought, like, I'll be the first female blue man. Yeah. And then I was in Chicago, and I saw my first audition listing, and it said you had to be 5'10 to 6'2. Oh. And my dreams were absolutely dashed. Oh, and, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I was uh, very serious about it. I always thought that I would make some kind of, like, weird environmental percussion theater performance weird thing. I think that's what my dream was always. In high school, I was, like, I was already arranging um, marimba duos and percussion octets. I don't know how, but I, like, coerced. <laughs> seven other kids into being in a percussion octet with me 
how I don't know. <laughs> why did they want to do that I don't think they had a choice I'm pretty sure that I was I just like muscled them into being in it yeah it was like seven percussionists and a stand-up bass oh that my was gosh. actually pretty rad it was rad yeah that's insane so what instruments do you play I play piano um and if you hit it I can play it and um <laughs> And then, but like, you know, my favorite things, you know, like when I did like solo competitions, I did timpani solos and, you know, like strange, um, like multi-percussion pieces and, you know, all the stuff that like music nerds totally rock out to. Absolutely. Oh my God. Recently I had this amazing experience. Okay. This is crazy. Yeah. So, uh, John Williams' brother is Don Williams. He's a percussionist. He's played on everything Don has ever made. Okay. And um, I met him recently. I did this, like, wonderful night with Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. They did a Star Wars-themed sure. night um, because they, they've written some books. And um, they're friends of mine, so I went to it. And uh, Don came to play timpani. And so I met him, and I didn't really realize who he was. Like right. We were in this, like, band together, this ragtag band they put together, and uh, with, like, Michael Giacchino and, like, Kirk Thatcher, and it was, like, me and a few other random people. So we all we were all friends now, but I didn't really know. I, I, it was the first time I met Don. I started asking about him, and then I Googled him the day that we were doing the performance, and I realized that he was the sound of my childhood because <laughs> I didn't listen to popular music. I only listened to classical music and film scores yeah. and you know, you know, the percussion on film scores are the most inspiring thing. They make you want to be a percussionist. They're so fun. Absolutely. So that night I talked to him and I was like, I have to tell you, you made me want to be a percussionist. And I like got super emotional. <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing. It was like backstage under the blue lights of the Largo Theater. Oh. I was like confessing my childhood to Don Williams. And then Michael invited me to go to a recording of the, the score to Planet of the Apes. And I got to hang out in the percussion center. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was amazing. And Don had 10 timpanies. Oh. Because you can't, you can't retune in the middle of a piece when you're playing a score. Right. So you have to have everything tuned and ready to go. It was the best. It was so, the best. So they say, you know, they always say, don't meet your heroes. But was that one okay? Well, that one was the best. <laughs> was because he just hung out with me, like, answered all my questions that day. And then, you know, every so often we'd have to shut up because they were actually playing. Right. And then we'd go back to, you know, he, he gave me a tour of everything. Like, every every mallet you've ever seen in your life was in the same place on that soundstage. Like... Oh, it was so great. Oh, so my great. gosh. We, we, um, I recently took my daughter to see, you know how they do those performances now where it's like you watch the movie, but there's a live orchestra playing the score? Yeah, what did you go see? We went to see the first Harry Potter. And, Ooh, and bef- we, she, I'm a geek, my daughter's a geek, so she actually, I, I arranged really? it so she, I'm so I know, right? So I arranged it so she would be able to chat with the conductor before the performance, and so he took her backstage, we went up on stage before the, 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 the people came out, but all the, you know, the chairs and all the instruments were set up, and he walked us through the percussion section, and... I mean, if you go to see an orchestra playing something like Beethoven or, or Mozart, like what you really see of the percussion in the back are those huge drums. You don't really yes. see, as an audience member, you don't see anything else. 
But we walk through there, and especially for Harry Potter, because it has all those unique percussion sounds. Yes. I was blown away just by the number of different instruments that were set up back there. Oh, I mean, and sometimes you just hit them once, but they're such... They're, they're such a special sound that bring you so much magic that, yeah. you know, they have a really big I, part of the identity of these soundtracks, you yeah. know? Absolutely. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I mean, talking about music, talking about kids, um, since you are a musician, I'm wondering, if, if do you have advice for kids who are, you know, about to choose their first instrument? You know, so many kids are pushed to being like, piano, violin, it's reliable. Or, you know, would you say that? Or would you say something more obscure? I'll say, it's funny you should say that. So I I feel two things about it. One, if an instrument speaks to you, pick it up immediately. Yeah. If if an instrument isn't speaking to you right away, that's a great place to start with the piano or the violin, because then it will give you the basis for any other instrument that may speak to you. You know, like you can play the piano. That's what I did. I played the piano first and then um, fourth grade, I think, is when we started band. Mm-hmm. And I took like the, the music test and I got a 99 or something like that. I was very <laughs> mad. I wanted to get 100. Of course. Um, I've always been a little bit rough on myself. But anyway, <laughs> another conversation. And, um, and so... Mr. Bray, who was, who was our band director, he let me choose anything I wanted. So, uh, but, but he actually, he let me choose anything I wanted, but he also handed me a glockenspiel. Okay. Because he's like, you already know what this looks like, just hit it. Don't use your fingers. <laughs> and then I was like, immediately like, I'm going to need something bigger. So they handed me this like small... Um, like small marimba and then I was like I need something bigger you know and and now I have an eight-foot marimba of course So it's like so you know that was a great basis for me I actually did start with the piano and I was able to transfer to percussion because of it so um yeah but I mean if a tuba I have my so I have a nephew he's four years old I call him the baby man I'll never change that (laughs) he I saw a video of him at three and a half he was playing a tuba. He went to some oh. fair where they show you instruments. Yes. And they and they let him play a tuba. He had so much air. Yeah. I couldn't understand. I, I can't. I, I don't understand how to play brass instruments at all. They terrify yeah. me. I can't do it. That's amazing. We've the, uh, I live just outside of D.C. and the Kennedy Center does that. They have they call it the like the musical petting zoo, and that's they, exactly what it was. Yeah, they just that's set up all the was. instruments. Lives in D.C. Okay, yeah. then yeah, exactly. It was probably where it was. And so the kids come in and they just play. You know, they learn how to touch the instruments and how to play the different notes and play them. I can't see a three year old with a tuba though. I'm trying. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> held it for him. And he just said, and he, you know, it's the tuba's taller than him. Yeah. But you know, he's also he's he ma- he has this thing called Pipeworks, which is like this, this thing I used to play with. He in- he inherited this building set, and the- you can make these large things out of it. And I was FaceTiming with him yesterday, and I said, "What are you making?" And he said, "It's a tuba." So <laughs> now it speaks to him. A, we got a tuba player in the family, uh, apparently. If it speaks to you, then don't fight it. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, you know, if you're if you are looking at um, if you're trying to figure out where your heart is going to lie, then then uh, the piano and or the violin is a great place to start. Yeah. Or a trumpet. You know, like if you if you're like if you can imagine yourself playing a brass instrument, just pick pick a, a trumpet up. You know, it'll be it's like an it's a perfect gateway drug. Yeah. 
As a parent, though, I, 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 I'm kind of dissuading my kids, like, don't, just don't do the clarinet, please. Because <laughs> I remember I had friends who tried to learn the clarinet, and the, 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 the time it the takes squawking. to go from squawking and honking to actual discernible notes, it's just way too long. <laughs> yeah, I was lucky. I just got to pick something up and hit it, and it sounded great. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about Star Wars. Okay, okay. Um, we can talk about band geek stuff forever. We man. could. Anytime. <laughs> So you're used to seeing your face on screen. You've had a lot of roles on TV. Um, you've done a lot of voice work for video games, and so you're used to hearing your voice come out of different characters. But mm-hmm. Battlefront 2 is the first time that you've done the voice and had the character model based on you. Is that right? Uh, kind of, yes. So Far Cry 4, I did perform- performance capture for that as well. She wasn't a perfect scan of me, but um, they... I think they did use my face to model her a little bit. Nobody looked exactly like they did in real life. So, right. but this is like, they scanned my face down to the pores yeah. on my face. So you are correct. This is the closest thing in a video game to, to it being me that it has ever been. When was the first time that you, number one, knew it was going to look like you? And number two, when was the first time you saw it and you were just like, whoa, that's me? <laughs> Okay, so the first time I, well, I knew they were going to, I think I asked pretty immediately, are they going to use our likenesses? Um, So that was pretty early in the process. I've been a part of this project for over a year now. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm pretty sure that was one of the first questions I asked. I was like, oh my God, does my face get to be around or in (laughs) Star Wars in any way? Um, uh, (laughs) and, uh, And so I got the answer to that. And then they scanned my face. On, on Thanksgiving. So I was supposed to go be with my family for Thanksgiving, and the only time I could scan get scanned was during that weekend because I was shooting Sleepy Hollow in Atlanta. Uh-huh. So I flew to Los Angeles and spent Thanksgiving alone, which Aww. I was totally... I mean, no, I was fine with it. Okay, it was okay. <laughs> wonderful. And, um, and then people flew down from Montreal, uh, and which is... <laughs> probably easier to do because you know canadian thanksgiving's on a different weekend so they were probably like i don't care it's not special for us so they came down they, they basically make a pod out of a thousand cameras or maybe a hundred cameras i don't know and um they they composite your face and then they color it later so they take reference photos for color right. but they are getting a map of your face that is um black and white okay um and that's how they get every single you know morsel of your being um okay so that's how they did that's that's when they did my face um but i saw i'd love to say that i like finally saw some beautiful rendition of my face but that's not how it happened to me (laughs) um i was seeing a lot of work in progress things because you know you start shooting immediately so the second that i wrapped sleepy hollow which was the end of january we were uh working and shooting this Mm -hmm. so um I showed up to set my second time through or something like that, and there was a, a reference video of what they, they kind of do like a pre-visualization so you can watch the blocking and base your movements off of it. And it was, the, every, everybody's head was bald. Yeah. And they had these giant eyeballs, <laughs> and, but it was my skull and like my, the, my head shape. Yeah. So I didn't realize that it was my head, and it didn't have any color either. I didn't realize it was my head until uh, somewhere like through the half the day. I was like, wait, is that my weird 
lip? Like, <laughs> like, wait, that looks my, like an alien. <laughs> that's my, oh my god, that's my mouth. Wait, that's my chicken pox scar? Wait a second. Oh, that was, it was kind of terrifying. I mean, it was just like a horrible, horrible looking monster head, you know, yeah. just like an unblinking person. Um, so that was the first time. The second time, I think it got a little better. Like maybe she had hair, but it wasn't my hair. It was just some popped on hair from somewhere. Right. And it wasn't my hairline. So it looked even less like me. Just you placeholder know? hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so I saw, I saw really horrible versions of myself throughout the entire process. Oh. And the first time I saw something that was like a fully rendered face was um, the first trailer that was released in April. Uh, yeah. When, you know, there's like the, the helmet off moment. She looks up at the Death Star and says, impossible. Yeah. That was it. That was the first time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's got to be unreal. The feeling that it you, was. you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask you how did it feel because there's only, I mean, what are you going to say? Oh, that sucked. You know? <laughs> was, I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and yeah. cried. And then I was in, um, I was I was at Celebration in Florida. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to be in the audience and, you know, feel the rumble of the seats with all of the fans and, yeah. you know, really experience it. But and they were like, hey, can we shout you out from the stage? And I was like, yeah, totally. And then they played it and I was crying and shaking. And then they said, and Aiden is here. Janina, go ahead and stand up. And I was like covering my oh, face no. like an idiot because I was so <laughs> yeah. sort of like self-conscious by the tears. And then kind of kind of waved I, I don't really even remember doing it and i it's just yeah. oh god it was a total disaster for me oh no but, um but you know i mean just like in the in that moment i, I could have been better in that moment but what are you gonna do you let the emotions in you let it in yeah. and you were just oh you know you the, the the tidal wave took you away in the moment and that's yes, fine exactly. i would have been exactly. much more of a mess than that so <laughs> Was this Great. the was this the first time that you did uh, motion capture, or have you done no, that for other? I games? did that. Yeah, I did that for Far Cry Four. Okay, I mean, from a performance yeah. perspective, does that really help you immerse in the character more than just going in and recording your voice? Oh, absolutely. It's also what I'm used to. Yeah. Right? So, um, I, you know, I have friends who are incredible voiceover actors, and I am not at their level yet. I'm trying to be. Yeah. But the out, but my like Malcolm Gladwell hours. Are, have been spent on set and not necessarily in a in a um, voiceover booth in the same way. So um, I don't have I don't have a ton of those tricks. I have a few, but yeah. I don't have a ton. Right? It's a totally different art form, and um, and you can combine them when you're doing performance capture, of course. But I've, I'm going to feel more comfortable in a performance capture environment because uh, the physicality allows me to just drop in in a way that I'm I'm used to. Yeah. Um. Aiden is now part of the established Star Wars universe, uh, which means that potentially she's a character that other authors can pick up and write about and develop further. Um, obviously not touching on the game because, you know, we don't know what happens and I'm not going to ask you about the game. But if it were up to you, what aspect of her character or her life or anything would you like to see more fully explored? Like if, if, an, if another novel were to pick up her story or something uh. like that. I'm dying for Christy to write another novel. Yeah. Uh, the first one was so well received and I loved it so much. Um, and it really informed what we did with the characters in the game as well. You know, mm -hmm. I was in conversation with her from the second I knew that the book existed. Mm -hmm. So, um, what do I want to see? I mean, I want to see all of it. <laughs> there are so many moments. Um, 
woman. You know, um, when you play the game, you'll see where she was when yeah. in, um, you know, the timeline and, and uh, what she was a part of. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, it's very complicated being the literal poster child for the Empire. And um, there's a lot of darkness. <laughs> and uh, I really, I want to I wanna know about all of it. Yeah. So you did compare notes with Christy. You guys did. You, oh there yeah. There was a lot of talking. Did did you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you share insights into Aiden's character? Like, was it was it more from Christy to you, or were you? Did you give her notes too? Be like, well, I really think she would have done this. Oh, okay. So the first day on set, um, I put to, I I was like, so there's a book. When am I talking to the author? And then we yeah. all suddenly had a meeting. I think the next day we had like a power hour together over Skype where Christy and Mitch Dyer, who is a, one of the writers of the game, and um, Steve Blank, who's with Lucasfilm Story Group. We had a story group person with us every day that we were working on a game. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this. so this really could be an authentic Star Wars story. So... Uh, the four of us were in a room together and we talked and talked and talked and talked and he asked a million questions and Christy told us the, uh, a lot of the details of the story in the book, um, which is super dark. Yeah. <laughs> and Christy is the person that actually gave me my relationship to my mother, hmm. um, which was so helpful because, you know, as an actor, you try to fill in all the gaps sure. to have uh, a writer who has, who has spent the days, um, figuring out your backstory for you, that was so helpful. And then we all basically nodded. And there were moments when, um, in that conversation, Steve from Story Group was like, well, we'll, we'll talk about that because that might not work. And then, um, you know, I'm sure they, like, made sure that there were no loopholes in right. the story. But, I mean, it's a big galaxy, so can you imagine how hard that is? To keep it all in check? Yikes. Yeah. But, um yeah, so we all got on the same page, and of course I had questions, and Christy answered all of them, and, and you know, we were in- instantly, from that day forth, we were, we have always been in conversation with each other. That's amazing. I mean, that's... Even now. Yeah, that's got to be so helpful as an actor, because not everybody oh gets gosh. that relationship. Yeah, and then when I got, you know, I was I was asked to voice the audiobook, yeah. and, you know, that allowed me so many opportunities to just call Christy and talk to her about various things, and... Um, she's kind of the best, man. She is. I've talked. She's been on the show. I've talked to her. She's oh, a, good. yeah. When when um for Dark Disciple, we had her on, uh-huh, and yeah. that book is amazing too. I don't think that it got the credit that it deserves. Um, but yeah, she's incredible. She's so amazing. Yeah, um, and we got to spend time at Comic Con together. You know, like we really. Um, we get along really well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to ask about the audiobook. Um, did that? Even though I'm assuming you recorded that after you'd wrapped on the game but did that help nope. you no <laughs> oh my gosh it was the hardest thing i've ever done so i have friends who you know they are audiobook pros yeah i am not i'm not <laughs> first one i've ever done yeah so i of course called my friends one of which sunil mahotra said um his favorite director explained doing an audiobook like this it's like pushing a boulder up a mountain with your face Mm. so wow i was ready for it to be the hardest thing i'd ever done um and it was really because uh sessions for audiobooks are mostly four to six hours and because i was shooting it in the middle of 
um, I was recording it in the middle of shooting Battlefront 2, I didn't have the days. So we had to do eight-hour sessions, eight to, you know, eight-plus sessions. And it was rough. It was rough. Yes, it was rough. Oh, my Um, God. But, you know, if anything can make you just want to be great, it's Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's fascinating that you were doing them at the same time. So did, did narrating the book, even though it was rough and it was eight hour days and you were just nonstop talking, did that help you understand the character even more? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. There's, um, you know, there are a lot of things about Iden that are quiet, you know, um, even though the, you know, the, the, essence of star wars is is fun and it's big and you know the explosions are big and and um people are flying all over the place and it's kind of high octane in that way mm-hmm. um i wanted Aiden to be still in a lot of moments because uh you know her power comes from her stillness her ability to make decisions and be a great leader come from also being able to be quiet and think in a yeah. moment mm-hmm. and um that's what it's like in real life my uh grandfather was a general and my brother-in-law is a former marine Hmm. and um there is a stillness to these to the the people that are put in these situations and um you know she's not some like bumbling jarhead she's a she's a commander and um and that's in the book that the explanation of what she how she thinks and um, when she stops to breathe in, is all in the book yeah. in detail. And those are the kinds of things that mold the energy of a character. And um, ah, that's where I like to live, those yeah. kinds of details. Um, speaking of books, you must have had an okay experience because you also did one of the stories in From a Certain Point of View. I did. You that did. was so fun. Um, yeah. Was it weird to, to, to be an Imperial officer who's not Aiden? <laughs> um, well, you know, when you, when I did the first book, I voiced all the characters. Yeah. So I was used to voice, voicing somebody else. <laughs> um, it was a very different perspective yeah. because, you know, Pommel didn't want to be there. Aiden yeah. wants to be there. Yeah. So... Um, they're very different, very different women. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, they definitely strike a different tone. Yes, yes. <laughs> Do you, I'm wondering, maybe you don't even, can't you, whether you can recall or not, but what's your earliest Star Wars memory? Oh, I can recall. Oh, awesome. It was actually embarrassingly late. Um, I, you know, I had a really strict upbringing, and I was a sort of intense kid, and, I, and I'm sure I loved being a contrarian, so if everybody liked something, then I was like, I'll get to it when I can. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I didn't, I sort of missed Star Wars. I didn't really totally get it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so embarrassing. No. And um, my best friend in my freshman year of high school almost dumped me as a friend because I hadn't seen oh my Star goodness. Wars. So he sat me down and made me watch the original trilogy. And I remember the moment he turned up the volume and I watched The Crawl and I heard John Williams' opening theme. And I, 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 I was suddenly like, I hadn't even seen any moments yet. I was just like, oh, 
Okay. I'm I'm here for I'm, this. I'm here. I my body is ready. Now, <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have a favorite Star Wars moment? Is it possible to pick? Ooh, from all the movies. From from anything. Oh gosh. Oh, in my life. I mean, come on. Everything has now been. It's like I the restart button got hit the second that I <laughs> I you know joined the galaxy. Yeah. So um, I, the moment they called me, I started hyperventilating. I was on the set of of um, Sleepy Hollow and like getting final looks done with makeup. Like people were on my face and like brushing my hair and. I got the call and I was like, guys, I have to take this, I have to take this. And, um, you know, I've said before, and then I started hyperventilating. Yeah. I said that before, but I actually did it. And in this case, my, my throat just shut, shut, yeah. just shut. And I could not breathe. And um, my entire team was on the phone. And it, it was, uh, you know, I, uh, that moment will be, it's like it burned new neural pathways in my brain. <laughs> You know, like, it's just, it'll that's, forever be the biggest moment of my life. That's so fascinating to hear because it's, it's not like you were a struggling actor and that was your big break. You know, like you were an established actor on the set of another show and still <laughs> this was such a big deal. Yes, because Star Wars is the biggest thing in the world, you know, and yeah. it lives in every heart. And unless you're like a terrible person or a psychopath, you <laughs> know of Star Wars and love it. Yeah. And so... It just, uh, I get it. To be a part of something that lives in everyone's hearts and is so much bigger than all of us is uh, the honor is just overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of all the new Star Wars that's coming down the pike, that's on the horizon, whether it's the movies or books or comics or games or whatever, um, what are you most excited about? Oh, man. Or what are you most looking forward to learning more about? I don't. Okay, so I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a lot of the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> what am I most excited about? I like how you just put that out there. Just like you just dropped it and like expect me to walk <laughs> away from it. <laughs> uh, I actually can't talk a lot about the television we told you, but it's okay. I think I've told you that before, so it's fine. So, um, um. You know what I want to happen very, very badly? I am dying for someone to call me to be a part of, like, a premiere cable TV version of these stories. Yeah. And I know that Star Wars is supposed to be for everyone, and and it is, and, like, you know, 10-year-olds need to be able to watch it. But I, <clears throat> I like, live for premiere cable dark series. Mm -hmm. I'm super into them. Um so that's what I want to see. <laughs> you and me both. I have long been a fan of the idea of having like a Star Wars series on Netflix that's sort of in yes. the same vein as the Marvel shows on Netflix. Yes. Um, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I would love to see a show about, um, this is just me talking, but I would love to see a show on Netflix about female bounty hunters. Oh. <laughs> That's a great idea. Right? Except now that I've pitched it, or not pitched it, now that I've said it, um, I, you know, I'm going to sue them if they if they do it, because yeah, it's my, it's no, my idea. It. That's, yeah, it's here. <laughs> you know, everybody who's listening is a witness. That's right. We thought of it. We thought, did you see how I made it a we? We, we, we did. We did. You can, you can get your cut. As long as you're in it. If you're in it, then you yes, can get your exactly, cut. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, this, this might seem out of, like a like an out of the left field 
kind of question. Um, but Chloe Bennett, who's on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. who, um, she recently came out about her experiences cha- having to change her name in order to get roles. Uh, and she said, Hollywood is racist. It wouldn't cast me with a last name that made them feel uncomfortable. And I'm just wondering, Ooh, I'm wondering if, her. yeah, and I'm wondering if you ever had that experience or whether you ever um, felt pressure to change your name. I almost did before I moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost changed it to Von Carr. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a quarter Dutch. My mom's Dutch. So I was like. I was playing with the idea that I would change it to to, to like a a Dutch spelling version mm-hmm. and take off the G A because mm-hmm. um, it sounded like it sounded sort of like a like a jazz singer or something <laughs> Janina von Car I don't know but, <laughs> but the the thing is that yeah part of it was to deethnicize myself <laughs> you know right and certainly when I moved here there were no parts for brown girls specifically mm-hmm. girls that were mostly indian you know so right. i yeah i definitely felt the pressure and i grew up in um a time when there was nobody who looked like me no one who looked like me yeah and um the closest i had was lois lane uh, terry hatcher yeah. on the on like that superman show right. and she's just like a tan person <laughs> like it's so embarrassing <laughs> I um I never you know I I never thought that I would have a shot. Yeah. So and so yeah so I definitely felt like that. I didn't do it because I lo- I sort of felt like if I can make it and I can do it with my own name I can you know like I, I feel like I've done something for my entire family. Yeah. You know. Do you um. Do you, and I'm sure you probably do, but like, do you feel that weight of responsibility now because you're so, you're so visual, like, um, you're so at the forefront of Star Wars, you know, everybody's looking to you, you are that representation that you didn't see before. Um, do I feel the pressure? Yeah, to, I mean, because now there's thousands, if I mean, not millions, I mean, there's, there's girls all around the country, around the world now saying, oh, that's me, I could be that too. Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, listen, so... Because I've seen the change happen and because I've been um, sort of like the propaganda that I've been selling since the moment I moved to L.A. was like, um, I'm the face of the future. <laughs> Everyone's going to look like me. So you should just get on board. Yeah. Like that was what I was kind of I love it. Um, unabashedly trying to to mind trick everyone into thinking. And um so, you know, when you believe your own rhetoric, it becomes the truth. <laughs> right. And it actually happens. It happens. <laughs> so, um, so in some ways, I'm like, uh, it didn't happen fast enough, you know? Yeah. And in, and in some ways, I'm like, well, yeah, duh, of course. So I don't, uh, you know, I'm not the first. So, uh, you know, there, Tia Sarkar has been working with the Star Wars uh, in the Star Wars galaxy, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time. And mm-hmm. Riz Ahmed, who I just met, by the way, oh, uh, in New York. Jealous. You know, he, he was in a big old movie, man. Yeah. So now here's the thing. You know, Aiden is the lead of this story. So I do understand that it's a little different. But, um, you know, I have... I am not a person who's going to ignore the the so many people who have come before me who have made this possible for me and all of the people like me. Yeah, that's you amazing. Know? No, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, last question, and then I will let you yeah. go. I think um, everyone probably has something inside of them that they're afraid to do creatively, um, mm-hmm. and they just haven't done it because they don't think that they can, or they don't have the support, or they're afraid that they might fail. What would you say to them? Do it anyway. Do it for you. Show no one. Don't do it for somebody else. It's your thing. You know, um, Picasso would be Picasso without anybody making do it, without him doing it publicly. You know, you can't, and also figure out what your metric of success is. Like some people need to be famous to feel like they, you know, are, they exist, but that's not what it is for most artists. And um, it certainly doesn't have to be that for you. Yeah. No, it's a very, yeah. it's a very good answer. I love it. Janina, thank you so much for your time. I could easily sit here for another 45 minutes and talk to you. I know. I'm like, I'm like so let's get back to marching band. We can totally uh, get back to marching band. <laughs> <laughs> I, was not a, I was not in the marching band, but I was, I, was, I was a band geek. I was in the band, so. Wait, how old is your daughter? She is eight. Okay, and does she know what she wants to play yet? Well, she plays two instruments, actually. She okay. Because pl- my wife um, went to, she, she, went to school for piano like music education so she okay she's it. a pianist so my daughter plays piano and she plays a chinese instrument called the guzheng um because my wife is chinese Ooh. and it's like okay, a, it's it. a traditional stringed instrument 21 strings it's a horizontal thing you sit at it and pluck oh, the I, strings oh, i totally know what that is yeah yep. yeah it's a gorgeous sound i love it so she she plays those two and she hasn't even gotten to the point in school, because I think here it's like fourth grade, they pick their instrument for band. So now she's still thinking about like, what's the third instrument I'm going to play? Yes! <laughs> so, yeah, she's, she's musical. She also sings in a choir. So she's, a, uh, she's very musical. <laughs> awesome. Okay, I like her already. <laughs> I, I do too. I'm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. Of course. Have a wonderful day. So these are the authors that are brought on to the Star Wars universe to write. Can you imagine being an author, you wrote your story, and then maybe having like one little thread pulled out of it and turned into something and it yeah. go bigger? Like you all of a sudden your character that you kind of introduced, you know, is a main character in a story or I, I just I think that must be wild. It must be wild. for Yeah. People. Well, what's funny is that I actually um I actually wrote an article for sci-fi about the story group and I went back and I listened to a bunch of our previous episodes of, of star Wars authors that we, when we had on the show and uh, John Jackson Miller, when we had it on, he was talking about when, um, when he was writing his short story, the name of which escapes me at the moment. um, He was writing a short story for um, a star Wars story. And really he said the only input that story group had when he was writing was they wanted him to just drop in a character in the background. Here's the person's name, drop him in. Um, Doesn't have to be part of your main story. Just make sure you mention him. And you know, in this situation, that's it. Right. And then that was that, that character then, um, was developed in the novel for the first Battlefront game uh, by Alexander Freed. Um, so it's things like that, you know, it's it's what the story group is trying to do is is make sure that it looks like there's a plan and because there is a plan, right. you know, so yeah, mention somebody in a book that's later developed in a comic or mention somebody in a comic that will eventually make the jump to the screen somehow. And um just giving it, giving the universe that sense of cohesion and, 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 um, like, like it is one universe and they're all inhabiting it. Right. 
And how exciting will it be if we ever see a transition from some of the Rebels characters into the into the main story? That's what everybody's waiting to see, how that's going to happen. This is the last season, so we'll see where the characters all end up. But that's a big looming question right now among fans. Get get Pablo on the phone. Get him on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Pablo we got to talk to. It's Dave Filoni we got to talk to. (laughs) Yeah, but he's our in. Oh, okay. I got got it. I got it. He's our guy that can hook us up. So. I see. Like, no, he doesn't give us any info. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? He's the, we're going to start a rumor. Pablo Hidalgo slips us information. Oh, yeah, please. You're going to get us in trouble. Now, we'll start Dustin. a rumor. <laughs> we're going to get in trouble. That's going to get cut. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back every single week. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe and share this episode with your friends that are excited about Battlefront 2, and if they're not excited, slap them in the face with it and be like, hey, get excited. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I am 140 Justin C on Twitter and Instagram. And I am at the Roarbots. We'll see you next time right here on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.